what we're doing is we're in a series called Verified. We're really looking through uh, the marks of a true Christian, according to John. And what it's doing, it's revealing who has genuine belief, but then it's also exposing those who don't have genuine belief. So we're looking at marks. That's what he's doing all throughout the chapter. And I think as Christians, we are always looking for identifiable marks uh, to show that we're in fact Christians. I think there's external identifiable marks that always typically uh, to portray that we are in fact Christian. I was thinking about the other day about the different past. I've been a believer for about 15 years and I was thinking about all the marks, external marks that people have done through the culture that show we're Christians. First there, the first thing that I remember was the WWJD bracelets. Anybody had a bracelet that said, what would Jesus do, right? And we saw that, oh, they must be a believer, right? They have a bracelet, right? Uh, we see other things that mark us. We, think, we see things like t-shirts, tats. Uh, we see uh, magnets on cars, right? We see these things that mark us. Uh, or we try to say these things mark the Christian, and we see that. Some people even use uh, things like the mark of baptism or church membership to mark them. Um, some of our single Christians often uh, look for the external marks of, of trying to ad- identify a datable person. Uh, they're on ChristianMingle.com or they go to a church and they think that verifies them as a believer. Uh, and we know that I'm not dogging any of those things that I just said, by the way. I'm just saying those marks are not trustworthy marks that truly give evidence of a genuine believer. But John knows the true marks of a genuine believer. And God, through John's pen, has been giving us all of these marks over and over and over again, these contrast comparison ways that we would in fact know today what John is going to show us, another mark of the genuine Christian, is how we love one another. John is going to teach us today about what love is. And I can't really think in my lifetime uh, a, a more time in this world where love is lacking more than ever, especially within the church. The divisions among people uh, display and have displayed a lack of love. We're talking about divisions over masks. Divisions over race, divisions over politics, divisions over schools, divisions over vaccines and not vaccines. There are so many divisions that are permeating through the world and have infiltrated the church and love is lacking. So I can think of no better time that we would need to hear a message like love, loving one another. Now, I heard a story um, about a young woman who wrote this desperate, desperate letter to her former fiance who she had broken up with. She had broken, broken off the engagement with her fiance, but then shortly after she writes him a letter and it says this, Dear Mike, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, 
I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. Now we know, I think Forrest Gump knows that that's not love, right? We, uh, we know that's not what love actually is. Uh, in our culture, the way that we use the word love, we throw around that word love like uh, Mahomes throws touchdowns. We throw that word around love like Pat Hood throws around East Tennessee one-liners, all right? Uh, we don't really, use, we don't know the word. In fact, uh, we misuse the word love in our culture in many devious ways. One of the ways that we use the word incorrectly in our language is we equate the word love with tolerance, meaning you can just do whatever you want to do, and I'm just cool with it, and I have to agree with it, and then that's love, tolerance. Well, we know that doesn't play out well, right? Think of your children. You're going to let them play in the street in a busy, busy road. You think that's loving? You're tolerating your kids doing that? Of course it's not love at all. Uh, sometimes we misuse the word love in regards to sex. We say we make love to people when in fact what it is is making sex. And we know that sex does not always equate to love. We use the word love in a sentimental way, like when we watch a sappy movie, like when a guy walks, watches Gladiator or a woman watches Notebook, right? You, you, you get these sappy emotional feelings. I love these moments. Like, like we use it in that way. Another way that we use the word love is in a neutral sense, meaning we use the word love to describe all things like our favorite team, our dogs, or how we love donuts, all right? We use the same word love for all of those very same things. And and here's just a word for our single ladies really quickly. If you are dating a guy and he tells you that he loves you, like after the first week, maybe in a text or to, to you in person, listen, he is loving you like he loves donuts, and in fact, he's just telling you that because his Krispy Kreme hot light is on, all right? So don't, you need to run from that guy because he really doesn't love you, all right? I got y'all rolling already this morning. But listen, we misuse the word love, all right? Y'all come back to me, all right? We got, we got work to do here today. Uh, but thankfully, the Bible does give us an accurate and far more different picture of the word love. And that is what John is going to do today in verses 11 through 24. Framing it up, verse 11 is the command, the exhortation, versus uh, the next piece of what he'll do. And I believe in 12 through 16, he's going to show us what love is not. All right. Then he's going to move on to show us what love is. And then at the very end, he's going to show us the benefits of true love. All right, so he's going to teach us a lot about love today. And, uh, and as he's doing, let's remember the purpose of this whole book is to reveal who is in fact a genuine Christian and who is not. So he's going to take this idea of loving one another and he's going to show us the one who loves the one another will prove to be born again and the one who is not loving one another will prove to not be truly saved. Let me pray, and then we will 
read together today. Father, Father, my prayer uh, today as we confess that right now in our world, it is very, very difficult for us to discern what is truth and what is not. Every time we open our device, turn on the TV, there is a question mark at the end of it. Is this true? Father, today we turn to the only thing that is true and trustworthy. It is your word to which all other things in this world are to measured against. And no matter how many times the critics' hammers may attempt to beat it down, it is a solid anvil that will not be broken. Father, today, let your word be good for us. Let it teach us what love is not, what love is. And then, God, would you show us the incredible benefits of loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go first verse here, verse 11, just it first. And John says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Well, let's just pause right there. It says, this isn't new. This is something you've heard from the beginning. This is the beginning of the gospel when it was proclaimed. It's the message that John has been teaching from the very beginning. This is not a new concept. We know that loving one another. I've told you before, this is John's thing. This is his sermon. He's, he says it on repeat over and over and over again. That's one of John's methods of teaching, by the way. We're not even done with the book yet. He's going to repeat himself a whole lot. So if he's repeating himself a whole lot, it's not, it's not because he hasn't said it before. It's because it's so important to us, church. Repetition is needed for forgetful people. Love one another. All right, so here in this text, though, what is important, that he's not talking about loving everyone in the world here. Notice the language. He's talking about the brothers here. It's threaded throughout here. He is specifically in this context talking about Christians loving other Christians, followers of Christ loving other followers of Christ. So this is an internal church kind of love for one another. Yes, we are called to love the world in a different way, but that is not this text. This command to love one another is in the confines of loving other believers. It is greatly inferred here also that this command cannot be executed apart from being a part of a visible church. Yes, we should love all Christians across the world, but, but in a physical way, which we're going to see today, that's how we love. It has to be done in a local expression. You have to be a member of a church to be able to do these things. That's my point here, to be able to carry these things out. Not perfectly love one another, but in practice. Now, D.A. Carson says this about the love one another. Simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, yet 
profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. I think that's true. I don't think, I mean, loving one another, I mean, like, who needs to be told that, right? It's not a deep doctrine. It's very understandable. The most mature believers understand the doctrine, but oh, how hard and difficult and an embarrassment it is that we often struggle to do this very same thing. So the way that John's going to lay this, the rest of this out and loving one another, he's first going to show us a negative example in Cain. A, then he'll move to a positive example in Christ. And then as I said at the very end, he's going to give us some blessed assurances when we do love one another. First, let's look at the negative, Cain. All right, a very first easy point here out of the gate. Don't be like Cain, all right? <laughs> Straight up, let's just get to the point here. Don't be like Cain. He says this, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this is John's only reference to the Old Testament in the entire letter as he goes back to the story of Cain and Abel. And if you're familiar, this is in Genesis 4, the account here. You have uh, Cain and Abel who were the very first brothers in human history. They are the sons of Adam and Eve. There, there's some differences between uh, the two brothers. We know the account that Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. Um, and both of them uh, brought offerings to God, a sacrifice to God. Abel brought his best offering to God. Cain brought something to God. We know that God had great regard and favor for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain's offering because of his wicked heart. Now, God, in his great grace and mercy, pursued Cain. Cain, if you'll just repent of what you do, things will go well with you. Cain, instead of repenting, he instead killed, slayed his own brother. He murdered. He became the Bible's first murderer. This is the story of Cain, an abbreviated form, of course. Now, this is the story that John is using to show us the antithesis of love. It is the exact opposite of love. In fact, it calls it hate. Now, before we divorce ourselves from Cain here, before we kind of say, that's not me, I haven't murdered anyone before, so how can you use that story? Maybe you've murdered someone with your mind or in your mind, but not with your hands. This is not me. Let's remember, before we separate ourselves from Cain, let's remember what our Lord said in Matthew 5 about this idea. 521. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus says, anger in the heart is equivalent to murder with the hands. Now, John goes on to explain that a little bit in verse 15. He says, whoever hates their brother, they are a murderer. So this is, this is kind of, before we, like I said, separate ourselves from Cain here and say, I'm not like Cain. Let's look at some symptoms that led to the murder, actually, and see if there might be some Cain-like symptoms in us. The first, I would say, about Cain is he was an, outwardly, he was a God worshiper, right? So he's not atheist. He's not an unbeliever. He, he, he brought a sacrifice to God. He, he's, he's trying to serve and sacrifice God, to bring a sacrifice to God. So here he is externally a God worshiper, but internally he is a child of the devil. He is a wicked heart. Now, instead of Cain, what he should have done is celebrated the differences between him and his brother. That's what a brother does. It celebrates one another. It's not jealous or envious of the brother. It's, it celebrates the one another. But instead of that, he did not love his brother. He resented him, jealous, envious, resentful, unhealthily competitive with him, we could say that. We know that his jealousy, resentment, and his anger were the seeds that ultimately led to murder. Now, something else about Cain here is that he hated Abel's righteousness. Like he looked over at his righteous brother doing a righteous deed, and he hated it. He didn't celebrate it. He wasn't like, oh, it's so good for you, Abel. God had favor. I'm so happy for you. No, he hated the fact that he was righteous. Why is it that right here in this moment that John pauses to tell us that the world will also hate you if you are righteous? Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world will hate you. He's saying, stop being surprised. Christians who practice righteousness do not be surprised when the world hates you ever been anywhere where you you went to i don't know a party or around a group of people and they just got really uncomfortable with you there it happens to me <laughs> i mean i go places sometimes i walk in and everybody feels everybody just kind of just kind of gets all tight. And there's no laughing. Everybody's trying to hide their beers at the party. All oh, the pastor's here, right? Don't, don't say anything. Kids, you better act right. The pastor's in the house, right? I, I feel awkward. I feel weird. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But, but John's point is this, that those who walk in the light make it uncomfortable for people that are walking in the dark. 
the worldlings are very uncomfortable around people who walk in righteousness. And in fact, if you don't, you're not really walking in true righteousness, you might not ever feel uncomfortable or make anyone else feel uncomfortable. But when you truly are walking righteous, the world will hate you for it. I think we I think we try to make the world love us too much. If I just suppress my beliefs, if I just try to be really nice, if I don't talk about the Bible, if I don't talk about Jesus, maybe these people will in fact love me and I will win them to Christ. No, 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 no. We are called to practice righteousness and let the Lord work out who he's going to draw and who he's not. Now, this is also not a license to be a jerk for Jesus. You know, you don't just kind of walk around, well, the world's going to hate us. I just tell it like it is. I just tell the truth to everybody. No, it's not a license to do that, right? But it is a great encouragement to us that those who walk in righteousness, you will not be loved by the world. And that's okay. Why is that okay? Because we know that our Lord said this in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Are you trying to make the world love you? Listen, love the Lord, walk in righteousness, and let that be the magnet that draws the world to you, not compromising truth in an effort to win the world. Now, let me go back to this. He, he, in John, in, in first, verse 14, he gives this summary statement here that really lands the plane of his whole point. And he says this, that if If you don't love other Christians, if you don't look around at Christians, other people who follow Jesus, if you don't look at them and love them, that you abide in death and you do not have eternal life. It's that simple. That's his statement. Like, you know people that say, I don't like Christians. They're hypocritical and they're judgmental. They can be judgmental, and we can be hypocritical, can't we? But that is not permission to not love. Those are evidences. When people say things like that, that is the evidence that they are not saved because the saved one does not hate the brother. They don't hate Christians. They love one another. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this idea. Where hatred lives, there is no life of God in the soul. Every man who hates another has the venom of murder in his veins. He may never actually take the deadly weapons into his hand and destroy life. But if he wishes that his brother were out of the way, if he would be glad if no such person existed, that feeling amounts to murder in the judgment of God. It's not the lifting of the dagger nor the mixing of the poison that is the essence of the crime of murder, it is the hate that prompts the commission of the deadly deed. So if we never commit the crime, 
the hate be in our heart, we are guilty of murder in the sight of God and eternal life cannot be abiding in us. So the question that we would leave ourselves with in this section, are there any Cain-like symptoms in us? Do you love other Christians? And I don't mean collectively. I'm talking about personally. It's really easy to love collectively all Christians, right? We could say that. But I'm talking about individual Christians. Do you love individual Christians? Do you have anger today or bitterness in your heart towards another brother and sister in the faith? Do you secretly wish bad things would happen to them? Or do you truly celebrate the good things in them? You know, one of the words, the buzzwords in the culture right now is online hate. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Think about the Christians that are engaging in online hate right now. Going to the public forum of social media to criticize the church and criticize other Christians, all the while giving a black eye to the bride of Christ while the world is watching. That is not loving one another. That reveals a heart like Cain, not like Christ. Jealousy, bitterness, envy, resentment. These are the seeds that lead to hatred and hatred leads to murder. Let us guard ourselves against the hate of Cain. Now let me transition here because John moves to contrast Cain with Christ. All right, so let's read this together. This is in verse 16. Love like Christ is this section here, all right? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Three things that John does here to help define and show us what love is. The first thing is that love is sacrificial. The second thing is that love is in deeds. And the last is that love is spoken in truth. All right, these things are found here in the text. The first thing he says that we can know and understand this love by looking only at Christ. Now, we can say that Jesus loved in many ways of his 33 years in his life. He did many, many loving things. But John doesn't focus on the things in this world that he did to love. He only focuses on one single act to demonstrate and define what love is, and that is the cross. Why is that? It was the ultimate sacrifice of self and sacrifice of life. And, and what John is saying is this, that in order for you to love one another, that you must begin looking at 
the cross. The cross, the bloody cross, is the measuring stick of all other loves in this world. We measure it against the cross itself. Christ sacrificially gave up his life, denied self. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He bore our shame. He bore our guilt. He gave us his righteousness, and we gave him our unrighteousness. He gave us his holiness, and we gave him our unholiness. So John is saying here that Christ died on purpose to demonstrate the love of God. This is the definition of love, which is in the cross. Now, and although there is no other greater love than one who will give his life, which we see here in the text, we also know that there's no greater challenge for us than to love one another. Let's just be honest. This is hard. To love one another, love people that are unlovable. Let's face it. We all know some people, those EGRs in the church. You know what that term is? Extra grace required. All right? You know what I mean? Those people are very difficult to love. And if you don't know anyone who is an EGR, you might be the EGR. All right? But, but th- that's just the reality. That's the challenge of all these things is how do we love the unlovable? How do we love people that don't agree with us about masks? How do we love people that private school or homeschool, we go to public school, how do we love people that believe in vaccines or don't believe in vaccines? How do we love people that are black or Asian or white? How do we love all of those people who might just be very unlovable? They don't agree with me. They're hard to love. How do we love unlovable people? By only looking at the cross. Christ did not die for the lovely. He died for the unlovely. That was you, that was me. There was nothing in us that was lovable. We were the EGRs, right? All of us. And yet Christ looked upon us and says, I love you in spite of you. It's not that you're just so awesome and so lovable and beautiful and pretty and all those things. He says, I love you in spite of you. So we In turn, we look at the EGRs, the ones that are hard to love in this church, and we love one another. We are called to love all people, regardless of political party, with their beliefs about this or that, and all these other divisions in the world that are happening. We do not, not love the brother because they do not agree with us. We love all people as Christ loves us. All of his own. Now, love being a sacrifice. That's that's the point of that text there, that we sacrificially love one another. We deny self. We put other people before us. We care about their good, not our own good. So love is sacrificial. But it doesn't stop there. John goes on to describe that love is not just emotive, it's not just in the head, it's not just in the heart. 
but love is actually in deeds as well. It's displayed in deed, right? See, see look, at, look at the cross again. Jesus saw the need. He saw that sinners uh, were going to die in eternal death in hell. He saw a great need for a Savior. And you know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't love for, from a distance. Like He didn't just stay there and say, I love all those people. He didn't say, I'm going to pray for all those people. That wasn't how he loved us. He loved in deed. He became flesh. He lived the life. He was crucified on the cross. He displayed his love. He didn't just say, I love you in words. He loved us in deeds. And when we as Christians say that we love one another, but we do not practice it in deed, there is a great imbalance in our life. You know, the guy at the gym who only does upper body, <laughs> you know what I mean? Never, always skips leg day, you know? He's like chicken little down there, he's jacked up up top. There's a massive imbalance in that person, right? John saying there's a massive imbalance in the Christian who says, I love in the head and the heart, but does not love with the hands. So how is it that we love indeed? We serve one another. Christ came to serve. We serve one another. So real practical example. If you're a believer in Christ, look around the room. Who do you serve here? You serve anyone here? Indeed. If you say that you love, but you don't serve one another, you are lacking indeed. See, that's the compelling thing that gets you to serve in the church. Not, not a form, not a card, but that you've been served greatly by God. And you know the way that you display that you have been born again is that you serve one another in deeds. I pray that if you're not doing that, that you don't walk out of here today without checking a box on the card that says, I will serve in deed because it gives evidence of the born-again Christian. But it doesn't stop there. Love is sacrificial. Love is indeed. But John leaves it in the final position. It says that love is also in truth. Love speaks truth to people, right? And we know that's not, that's not popular today, is it? Like I told you earlier, it's all about tolerance. You want to love people? We just have to tolerate everything. And John's point here is the way that we love one another is sacrificially, it's indeed, but it's also in telling people the truth of God's word. Do you know anyone who is a professed believer in Christ? Who is walking in habitual sin? They're, they're, they're practicing something in direct contradiction to the Bible. And you're playing tolerance instead of truth. If you truly love them, you will go to them with truth and compassion. You won't talk about them. You will talk to them because that is how we love one another. Don't call the church. Tell me 
Just go to them. Go to the brother and love them in the truth. Now, these three things, what basically what has just happened is this idea, this very question of how we evaluate ourselves. Once again, this is not about loving each other perfectly. It is in practice in our life. The question that we would need to ask ourselves, are we growing in our love for Christians right now? Are, are you growing in your love for believers? If you're not, there is a massive uh, chasm in your understanding of the gospel or you probably have never understood the gospel before in your life. Only a born-again believer knows how to love like this. Now, the last point here today, if we truly understand the love of Christ, sacrificially and decent and, and, and walking in truth, it gives great benefit to the believer. And that's what John does here in 19 through 24. He says this, by this, meaning by the way we love one another, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So what John does right here is he gives three things, three uh, benefits of when we do love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The first one, it gives us confidence before God. The second thing is confidence in prayer. And the third one is confidence that God is in us. All right, so let me, let me, let me expound upon that. When John says this, by this we shall know, John is saying a lifestyle of loving one another. The practice, the habitual practice of loving one another, it just gives evidence that we have confidence before God. This is in, in regards to the assurance of salvation. When I stand before God, I can have great confidence. Why? Because I love my brother and my sister. It gives evidence of my eternal security. And John goes on to say that even, even if your fickle heart tries to condemn you and say, no, 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 you're not a believer. You don't really love those people. Even when our own fickle heart tries to condemn us, it can't. And the only one who can condemn us won't. Loving one another gives us assurance of salvation and confidence before God. Now, the next thing he tells us is that it gives us confidence in prayer. Didn't he say that whenever we ask, we receive from him? So he's tying this idea of loving one another to the effectiveness of our prayers. Now, this, this is not a promise that every single one of our prayers is 
answered the way that we want to if we love one another. But what it is, is it's a great principle that if we're truly loving one another, then our hearts are more lined up and inclined towards Jesus. We pray more righteous prayers. And when we pray more righteous prayers, typically they are answered with a principle, not a promise. So if you've been praying for something in your life and you're not necessarily getting the answer that you want, well, you may still not get the answer that you want, but my question would be is, are you pleading to God for this while over here you are neglecting to love one another? You're holding on to jealousy, bitterness, and anger towards one another, some brother and sister in Christ. Your love for one another affects your prayer life. And the last thing that he gives us, the benefit, is the confidence that God is in us where he says here whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us and the spirit whom he's given us the Holy Spirit is in us and when we love one another it gives us confidence that he is in us Francis Chan called appropriately called the Holy Spirit the forgotten God and it is often forgotten we think about God and we describe God in manners of being before us, behind us. God is beside us, and those are all very true because he is sovereign. John's reminding us here that same God is in us. And that is a beautiful, beautiful confidence for those who love one another. Now, let me, let me close this because... Um, we, we simply cannot obey this passage today if we do not know the love of God. We cannot be obedient to verse 11 if we do not understand the love of God. Now, some heretical teachers or preachers want to tell you that you're in fact born and God just loves you right out of the womb. You are made in the image of God and you are so precious in his sight. From the moment you took your very first breath, you are perfect. God loves you right out of the womb. This is a detrimental belief. Some people, some people who grow up in the church, by the grace of God, by the way, and they've just always been in the church. Sometimes they falsely believe, I've always believed in God. I've always loved him. And he's always loved me. The problem is, is those things don't hold true in the scriptures. The scriptures say, as we were born into this world, from the very first moment, we were protesters and rioters against God. All of us, whether you grew up in the church or you did not, you were a rioter and a protester against the heavenly God. You shook your fist at him. You said, no, you won't be ruled. And for the crime of protesting and rioting against God, he cast down a punishment of guilty. And the sentence was eternal death. 
That's the posture of every single one with a beating heart. What was God's response to that rebellion? Love. Love sending a son to die for the protester, to die for the rioter of righteousness, to lay down his life, to send his one and only son, to die on the cross, to take on the penalty of death. Why? So that you wouldn't have to. That is the love of God. And apart from that love right there, no one ever will experience the salvific love of God. Only by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ do you and I experience the love of God. If you haven't ever done that and you want the love of God, trust in Christ. Can't trust in you and trust in Christ. Doesn't work that way. It's a complete abandonment. God, you hear this idea of God helps those who help themselves. Don't believe it for a moment. God helps those who abandon themselves and admit there's nothing that they can do. Today, would you, if you've never abandoned yourself and ask for the love of God, I pray that you do that. You can talk to me outside afterwards. You can uh, send a text in today. Jesus, you can do whatever. Please reach out to us. We want you to know that. All right, for the believer, let me leave you with this. Let me believe you with the ability and the power to execute the love one another command here. And I'm gonna read this over you because it's something that I have to run to quite often as I'm called to the same charge as you. And it is hard. It is a very simple and practical doctrine, but it is embarrassingly hard to execute often. This is where we go to 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Let me read this passage Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So that's my prayer that the Lord would make us the love for one another increase. That we wouldn't look at ourselves in the mirror and say, get your stuff together, man. You gotta do better, be better. You gotta, you gotta love people. No, we would start by crying out to God and say, God, make me love better. What a beautiful prayer. Let me pray that for our church right now. Father, it, I, I pray right now in the, in the midst of this world and season that is so lacking in love and the difficulty and the challenge of loving one another. God, I pray first that you make me a better lover of your kids. That by your grace and your mercy and your power, make me a better lover of your church. And then God, do that through our congregation here. Make the love for one another, increase and abound in us. The world needs it. Our church needs it. And God, we run to you because it's all by your grace and your mercy and your power 
that you do that. We love you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you.